Hi, this is Mark, and welcome to this special episode of Nerdology, sponsored by CSO Fanzine. And with me today, I have Simon Brett and Lee Rawlings. Hello. Hello. Now, why have I got you two guys on? Don't know. Why have <laughs> you got us on? You tell right, us. Okay, well, let's, let's end it there. <laughs> no, uh, we've decided to do a little uh, bit of a promo for something called Phonicon. Yes. We like mm. to call it... F- tell everyone what it's about. Yeah, we like to call it Phonicon. Um, not Phonicon, not get your phonic on and all that kind of business. It's, it's a, a weird word, we, we admit, uh, but it's basically um, a science fiction fantasy event that's happening in Exeter on April the 7th at the Exeter Phoenix. And the reason it's called Phonicon is, Simon? Um, we do a, a monthly radio show called The Phonic Screwdriver um, <clears throat> on a local Exeter community station, alternative community station, um, called Phonic FM. So therefore we thought, right, it's going to be a convention. You always stick con on the end of the convention name, so Phonic on. There yeah. you go. Simple as. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. So the- So what can people expect if they uh, turn up on the day? Well, uh, as you walk up to the Phoenix building, you'll see a TARDIS on the outside, which is great. Straight away, you've got a, a full-size TARDIS looking at you outside this art centre. Um, so you can play around and have your photos taken with that. As soon as you walk through the doors, which actually the, the Phoenix does look small on the outside, but it is bigger on the inside, chaps. Um, when, no, seriously, it is. When you walk through, you're, uh, well, you, the, the world is your oyster. We've got so many rooms booked, haven't we, Simon? We've got um, mm. an all-day cinema, um, which will be, it's, it's kind of a small cinema. It was about seating of about 40, but it's really cool because you'll get local filmmakers. There's one or two national filmmakers as well in there doing little talks and screenings. That'll be all day from 10 till 6 or something and then carrying on into the evening with Nick Box's Horror Night. Simon, do you want to tell people about the upstairs area? The upstairs area will have a room full of traders uh, and a room full of comic artists and writers. Um, It's not just Doctor Who, is it, that you're covering in the comic? No, no, I mean, well, we'll come to the main guests. Yes, there is a very, very strong Doctor Who flavour, but um, we're, we're kind of going into sort of independent comics and science fiction, children's writers, um, mm. quite a few brilliant, brilliant artists as well. So yeah. lots of people to talk to and, and fi- find out something new, really. It's a very good, really nice creative atmosphere. We've, we've kind of constantly... It's kind of grown in a certain way, but it's, it's become almost like a trade event in as much as there's a lot of... Um, creative people you know writers artists people who get really get into the nitty-gritty of stuff so there are a few actors but the majority of people there are are creatives who are writing and creating Mm. something new all the time so that's exactly right um, i mean it's a real mixed pot of stuff but um it would these people were picked on purpose because uh, the phoenix itself is it's got a lot of um you know it's very artistic and it's got a lot of rooms with certain resources and um, for instance, we have the sound gallery downstairs, which is a, a full recording studio, which you can hire out. Uh, it's all part of the building, um, but we're going to be opening it up and hopefully taking people down there to do some audio demonstrations and some Dalek sounds and all that kind of stuff. So we're kind of using what's in the building. Um, and one of the main areas of the building, which is fantastic, is the auditorium, is the, is the stage and auditorium area, where mm-hmm. they normally have theatre. And we've got... Um, uh, a whole bunch of great um, um, guests coming along. Uh, Philip Reeve will be open in the day. Uh, he's a, a great um, author of the, the series called Mortal Engines. It's steampunk for kids. Fantastic mm. books and all that kind of uh, malarkey. And he's, he's a eccentric he isn't really eccentric but he dresses beautifully like this english gent so i can't wait to get him on stage and start talking to him he's a lovely guy Mm. um and then we've got uh, the star wars star wars contingent simon yeah um we've got pam rose who uh appeared in a new hope the the first star wars film episode four um she was actually an alien uh kind of in the background in the cantina scene but um what's really great is you talk to people like this and you kind of get an essence of what it was like to film these films as opposed to speaking to one of the main actors and what have you who would probably tell the same story a thousand times you've got these people who were there when it was being made when it was you know when you when you consider we've got brand new star wars films being made but we're going back to where it was all Mm. first created so you've got pam rose and also a chap called alan fling who um played a stormtrooper mainly in the uh carbon freeze chamber in the empire strikes back so he was okay. he was the slightly shorter stockier stormtrooper <laughs> who was uh, holding han solo as he went down into the freezing chamber i'm that, sure that, he'll thank you for saying that 
<laughs> no, he said himself, if you're trying to recognise him, he's the shortest, stockier one. Um, but he was also in Return of the Jedi, had a speaking part. He was um, one of the Imperial officers on the uh, Darth Vader Star Destroyer. Just okay. before an A-Wing flies through the... Uh, he's the one who shouts out, just before an A-Wing flies through the, the main window there. So... Mm. Anyone who knows the Star Wars films know exactly what, what I mean. So exactly, um, but he's also a costume. and he's also um, yeah, he's also a costume designer. You were about to say, Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's worked on lots of films with lots of people. So we might kind of winkle out little stories and anecdotes from his his other job as well uh, in the film industry because I think it's it's worthwhile kind of delving into the the you know who these people really are as well, not just about what they what they've done on screen. Um, after after that, we've got um, Tony Virgo turning up. Um, uh, he was the director of King's Demons, which we were talking about recently on our Blue Box podcast. And, yeah, uh, you're a big fan of that one, aren't you, Lee? Do you know, actually, I, I, yes, I am actually now. I mean, I watched it first in the, uh, in the 60s, <laughs> in the 80s, rather, and I was like, yeah, okay, this is okay. It's a bit so-so. And then I saw it in the 90s, and I thought, nah, this is rubbish. And then I watched it again with completely different eyes very recently, and I just thought, no, I'm going to give this another go. And there are a, a ton of elements to it. The actual directing not just because Tony's turning up, is actually very good. And the acting's pretty good as well. Um, mm. But the, you know, the, and the dialogue is very good. But the actual story, not very good. Master, complete <laughs> waste. Turlo, nothing to do. So, you know, I've got a mixed feeling about that episode. But we have got the director turning up. But he, he hasn't... Um, he, he's done he also worked stuff. on um, Early Blake 7 as well, didn't he? Yeah, Early Blake 7. He's done, I think, I can't, can't remember what the other things are. He's done so many. Uh, I think EastEnders, is it? And a few cop shows and yeah. stuff like that. But also he was the head of drama. Is that right? For two yeah, years? Yeah, for is a couple of years in the 90s, yeah. Yeah, so there's all, you know, he's, he's quite a big uh, big cheese, really, in the, in the TV world. Um, and he will be fascinating to talk to afterwards if you're interested in kind of the TV industry and, and how it all works. So, um, yeah. After that, of course, we've got Annika Will, Simon. Mm-hmm. Annika Wills, who played Polly during the 1960s and obviously oversaw the Doctor in the first regeneration, so William Hartnell through to Patrick Troughton. So, and a lot of her stories are missing. So mm. this is someone who can talk to you about the episodes you've never seen. Exactly. Because she was there. Yeah. So, mm. And she's done a lot of work with Big Finish as well, so we'll, be, we'll cover that angle too. Um, mm. We've also got uh, Gary Russell turning up. Um, and Simon Gurrier, and uh, both of those have written Doctor Who novels. Um, mm. Simon has written Being Human and Primeval novels too. Lots of big finish between them. I mean, Gary directed, I think, I don't know, probably six or seven years worth of big finish material. Yeah, he's quite heavily involved. Heavily he? involved. Mm. I mean, you know, he helped shape the whole sound and, and feel of those things. Um, and, uh, and of course, he was editor of Doctor Who magazine for quite a of while. Of course. I yep. mean, you see the list of these, what these people have done. Is, is there's so much I can. I can't remember them all, to be honest. I'll, I will do my research even better on the day. But <laughs> I cannot remember because they've done so much between them. But, uh, yeah, so they're, they're both there. And Simon is going to be... He's, he's branched out into the world of film, filmmaking with his brother. Um, and he's just finished a, a film, well, I say just, it was last year, with Louise Jemison and Mark Gatiss called Cleaning Up. And we will be playing that and talking about that as well uh, in, the, in the auditorium. And mm. uh, the last guest of the day... Well, um, we are very, very honoured to have Barnaby Edwards, Nicholas Pegg and uh, Dan, Barrett. Dan, Dan Barrett, that's yes. right, yeah. who um, three out of four of the Cult of Scarrow. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Indeed. The Dalek operators, uh, you know. I was about to say premium Dalek operators. What they called? No, the principal. <laughs> What's the word? Principal. The hero Daleks. Yeah, the the main Dalek operators yeah, from the yeah, from yeah, the yeah. the new series, yeah. um, who are lovely, lovely people, from what I can tell. Yeah, they are. Um, and again, very, very talented. Barnaby is an actor, artist, writer, producer. Again, heavily involved in the Big Finish. Um, and meanwhile, Nicholas, again, the same thing, writing, what have you. I think he's involved with a lot of the DVD extras. Yeah, yes, I think he does yeah. uh, quite um, a few of the uh, And also, b probably the best biographer of David Bowie. Ever, I would say. Mm. For sure, yeah. yeah, definitely. And Dan Barrett was um, one of the, the, the chaps who was kind of caught up to say, look, we need another Dalek. And so he, he turned up uh, to help. I think he was uncredited on, uh, on his little scene, in his little scene. On Doomsday. Doomsday. Yeah, Doomsday, that he was uncredited, but he was there. Yeah. Was it Doomsday or was it Bad Wolf? 
Part of the Ways. Part of the Ways. I think oh, sorry, I've got it the wrong way around. Yeah, yeah. Yes, part of no, the you're right. Bad Wolf. Um, and then Doomsday. He he was finally part of the cult Scarrow. So um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they, those three guys are going to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun actually, because I've got a feeling that they're going to be wanting to do some quite fun things. Uh, plus an auction, an auction rather, and a raffle and all that. Kind of. So it's it's got that convention flavour, but all these mm. little things going on on the outside. Because we've also got storytellers um, turning up, and um, I can't remember now. There's all kinds of face painters and balloon modellers and all that sort of stuff with the kiddies. But there's and of course in the evening you've got yes. uh, a couple of music acts exactly. as well. Exactly, yeah, this have, is your yeah. baby, mate. This is your baby. Yes, it doesn't doesn't end at five o'clock. <laughs> like some of the promotional <laughs> material has gone out yeah. saying oh. it does carry on right into the evening and the ticket price of 12 pound for adults covers the evening as well yeah 13 um, hours so you can either go over to what the cinema as as lee mentioned earlier get, it turns into nick box's um dead good horror night where he's gonna be playing lots of um horror shorts independent horror shorts that he's kind of sourced from all over the world actually i, th- yeah, I think yeah, as far as i'm yeah. aware and he's going to play one of his pieces at the end and have mm-hmm. interviews with him and one of the stars um but in the voodoo lounge upstairs uh which was the trader's room is going to be converted in, into um well we're going to have three live acts we've got tom baker the tom baker well, depends how you look at it, really. Exeter's Tom Baker, who is a ah. young man with an acoustic guitar. There's him. And then there's a uh, kind of a retro 80s synth band called Low Tide Theory. You've got a new album coming out. Yeah, very um, good. It, yeah, they're really good, really polished and, and lovely. And finally, uh, Momo Tempo. Um, who uh, do you want to explain to anyone who hasn't heard of Momo Tempo? <laughs> what, how would you describe it? I think, it's, I, oh, I think he's great. I think it's yellow meets divine comedy. Do you know, that's, that's how that's, I see it. That's a pretty yeah. good description, I would say. There's there's some brass in there as well, of course, and there's mm. some yeah. absolute you know there's some humour in it and comedy, but at the same time, it's quite witty, intelligent. It's slick. It's synth pop. Yeah, but yellow and divine comedy, I think, explains it really, really well. I, I chatted to him last week, and he actually admitted to me that he is a closet geek and. Mm. You know, so this is quite a thing for him to be able to play. So I, I'm really, really chuffed to bits because yeah, uh, the yeah. guy, the guy is an absolute character and a very, very nice man. Indeed. So um, I'm really excited about it. It's, it's, uh, I'm, I've named the evening do phonic on and on because it's <laughs> nah. just carrying on into the evening up until about eleven o'clock. So you know, it's not just day; it's the evening as well. Hang around. Oh, and also, of course, Lee, between the two, between yeah. six and we eight, I think. The- we we mustn't forget two. There's two things actually we've forgotten. Uh, one is the Geek Master General, uh, or General Wong, as we want to call, we like to call him, don't we? Yeah, he's still there. <laughs> oh, yeah. cool. Cause, you know, I keep worrying I'm going to fade out because this Skype keeps disappearing on me. Um, yeah, no, we mustn't forget the marvellous General Wong, who will be in. He is our Geek Master General. He's going to run a quiz night from 6 till 8. And he is infamous down here in Devon for doing these. And it's fantastic geek nights that we go to. And he's going to bring these two or three teams together, hopefully with, with the existing stars that we have on stage. If they're still around, they'll join in. Um, so that would be great. That's bridging the gap between the bands and the, um, and the main day. But we've also got, of course, just to throw in the mix, if you're into this sort of thing, a burlesque dancer called Mojo Jones, who will uh, dance merrily to uh, Tron, uh, the uh, Daft Punk track Derezzed, and pretty much take her clothes off. But the thing is, it's, um, it's it's all done with the, in the best possible taste, and it's all artistic and and it's fantastic. It's great. She's the I think she's only one of a few people in the world that does this nerd burlesque thing, and um, it's going to be awesome. She's got these glowing tubes all all around her and this little tiny bike <laughs> that turns into a fan. It's just going to be good. So that on top of all of the family stuff on the day as well. So it's a real mix for everybody of all walks Something of life. Something for everyone. Oh, God. I think, um, I think it's possible that Momo Tempo is uh, going to talk to uh, Mojo and have some kind of a Momo Mojo type thing <laughs> going on. Excellent. Seriously, they're going to see what happens. But yeah. Um, yeah. She'll that, be bridging the gap between the two bands. Or two she will, bands, and like she? I say, that'll be late in the evening. So you know, that's that's you know, if adults want to just come along, that's fine. You know, but um, so yeah, the rest of the day is, is designed for families and everybody really. So mm-hmm. come along. I mean, it's it's a, 
a ridiculously cheap price, I think. There will be costume characters as well walking oh, around. So just God, how could I forget this? The cosplaying? Yeah, I mean, we've got the scary knights turning up. They're, they're going to be t- turning up in things like... F- somebody's going to dress up as the Flash in the Green Lantern, which is going to be great. Uh, but we've also got them dressing up as Pinhead and Freddy Krueger, just to scare a few people. Um, and then, of course, uh, we, we're getting the Southern Troopers. They're the Storm Troopers and also X-Wing, who are a fundraising group. They're dressing up as Planet of the Apes. They are fantastic costumes. So we're going to have people Sweet. wandering around looking absolutely, you know, it's going to be brilliant. And John Freeman is a storyteller, steampunk storyteller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, loads. This, and loads um, oh, and of course, traders, uh, we've got a local shop called Velveteen ah, yeah. who specialise in steampunk fashion. They do. Um, and they're actually going to be installing themselves in one of the rooms and having like their own shop there and yeah. hopefully have uh, a couple of the girls dressed in their stuff walking around and what. So hopefully the atmosphere is going to be something else. I, I really That's hope so. Cool. Oh, one person we haven't mentioned yet is our good friend J.R. Southall. Who? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you talking about? <laughs> we don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, he'll be there. Of Starburst magazine. He'll be wandering around with um, with his hands in his pockets, looking very cool, waiting for people to recognise him. Um, if in case you don't recognise him, we're going to put a really big sign on his back saying, "I am J.R. Southall. Please say hello." Well, of course, he's. I think he's going to be hanging around with the milk guys, aren't they? Because milk publishing are coming down. Um, and yes. obviously, J.R. was the the man who edited the original You and Who, and is also doing the second volume. Um, so yeah, yeah, which we're all in, I believe. We are, yeah, allegedly. There we go. Um, yeah, so there you are. I mean, there's there's lots going on. I mean, if you go onto the website, which is www.phonicon.org.uk, and phonicon is spelled P H O N I. God, how's it spelled? P H O N I C O N C O N. I can't remember to spell my own convention it's ridiculous um yeah no well if you go on there everything is on there all the guests in fact i've got to say if there's anybody out there that likes to hand out awards to the best website please hand it to this one because simon brett has designed this and it looks absolutely gorgeous for a convention site i think it's it's amazing absolutely utterly brilliant well done simon well i, well, I, I just looked at the other ones and thought I can do better than that. Now, now. <laughs> well, there are some really ropey ones. It's quite funny. But no, there are, but anyway, yeah, there they are do a couple that are a little bit dodgy. But can but I just say the, the X-Wing one is excellent as well? The, X, the X-Wing one. Oh, that, yeah, that's got, very good. Yeah, they've got good. a lovely website as well, yeah. who, who are helping us on the day. And I'm not just saying that. That is a really nice website as well. Yeah, it's it is been good, yeah. well, well done. I think it makes a big difference. And um, it's, easy, it's easy to navigate. Um, you put on all of the details about travel and locations and all that kind of stuff. All the guests have got their own separate little pullouts. You can just go and see all about the, you know, their biogs and their pictures. It, it just looks great. And it's, it's very, you know, you get everything you need on that website. So I'd go along and have a look at that. Have we said where it is and when it is? Yeah, April. I said it right at the beginning. It was April the seventh, um, which isn't long, and then it's uh, it's all day. It starts at ten o'clock and goes on to the evening, obviously till till midnight or whatever. Is at the Exeter Phoenix, right in the centre of Exeter. Um, yeah. So if someone is listening and this sounds right up their street. Yeah. It's quite central to Exeter, very close to Central Station, Railway Station. So it's a five-minute walk, isn't it, from Exeter yeah. Central? So mm. Yeah, yeah, it is. And also it's got a bus station and a coach station um, and, you know, a, a, a horse and trap station, if you really want. Um, you know, <laughs> and it's even got an airport up the road, for goodness sake. So you can get here from all over the world. <laughs> I believe there's someone coming over from Belfast for this. There is, yeah. Yeah. He may get the price for the furthest guest for this person coming bless him unless somebody's coming from australia or or belgium <laughs> or something maybe we'll find mm. out won't we but uh yeah, yeah so it's april yeah. the 7th it's uh, the extra phoenix uh in in the middle of exeter and like i say it opens at 10 o'clock you can book your tickets online through the extra box office extra phoenix box office or you can um turn up on the day if you want we prefer you to book beforehand if that's all right because it just makes it quicker on the door but it's entirely up to you and all the profit goes to Phonic FM. Indeed it does, to keep our community radio station running and our little show, our Phonic Screwdriver, that we like to do every fourth Friday of the month. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on, guys. Thank you. I hope it's a resounding success. Let's hope it is. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll do another one of these afterwards. <laughs> and know. then we'll tell you what we really <laughs> think. 
<laughs> if it's still in a fit state. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But I think it could be quite interesting talking about um, the organising, the reality of convention organising. Yes. It's, uh, yes. Yeah. Well, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll doddle a... from what I've heard. Yeah. Sorry? Yeah. We'll sit down and write a book about it, Simon, shall we? <laughs> I think we should, actually. Yeah, Either give, that or a blog. I do think we publishing. should. Uh, well, I think maybe we should. All right, thank you, guys. Thank you, Mark, very much. Thanks a lot. Fast forward 24 hours, and I had the chance to catch up with Timo Peach, otherwise known as Momo Tempo. Uh, very, very good to meet him and see what's going on. And I love the um, the Phoenix. I, I guess you've been in there, have you? Yes. Yeah, I've been on a few of uh, his radio shows. Yeah. So, yeah, it's quite a, a nice, nice space, particularly for you guys, if you're going to be uh, performing in it. Yeah, we. I mean, we're not we're not performing in the auditorium, but we are performing in the Voodoo Lounge, which That's is right. actually I'm intrigued to to find just a, a kind of drama practice room, but big enough to make. I I think it could be a really good vibe in there. Small yeah. enough to fill fairly easily, big enough to get the band in. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm having been down. I'm really looking forward to the night. So so all good. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Now. I've been on your webpage and I've looked at, um, I think there's a live clip. Was it one that you did, a gig you did in Bournemouth? Yeah, there's, there's a, a few snippets of us live. In fact, only this morning I've accidentally found uh, some very generous algorithm has put one of my live <laughs> videos on the NME website. Oh, sweet. Well, yeah, it is sweet because it looks it looks way more credible than it is. And I think if the NME <laughs> knew that I was on their website, they'd, they'd dismiss it fast. I think <laughs> I'm the least likely new artist for them to uh, champion properly. But um, yeah, that, that particular one you're probably talking about was a, a little edit of a, a concert we did at 60 Million Postcards in Bournemouth, which That's is it. probably the best venue in in Bomo. Mm. And uh, we played there a couple of times, hoping to get back again. And and it's good because they have a great attitude to new music, and the crowds were always really fab to us they really got it even though most of them they wouldn't know our stuff you certainly get a, a really good impression of the the atmosphere from watching the videos everyone seems to be really into it they are and in fact the, the gig we did before that they're even more into it i remember the first time we played there i thought right i'm this time i'm going to have some space because mm-hmm. one of the issues i always have is trying to take three or four horn players plus drummer plus a, a conga musician who could take up the stage all on his own mm-hmm. plus drummer and a, and a bit of my kit. Uh, I'm always the one that ends up with no space, ironically. <laughs> so this time, I'm going to be out the front. and uh, You need all the space to do your moves, don't you? Well, well, exactly. The high kicks, the whole lot. You want it in. So I set out my stall at the front and was all eager to have room to run around and high kick. And mm. uh, suddenly, everybody in the joint just came right forward, right up to me. me. And so I was more or less performing in the audience that night, both nights. And, Crowd surfing. Uh, almost crowd surfing. There was nothing to jump off, sadly, <laughs> but they did go crazy. And there's a couple of edits on SoundCloud taken from the 60 mil gig that just sound like the best concert in the world. There's mm. a live recording of Dead Good from there that does sound like a party, and it was. So, uh, yeah, what we've learned is go to where the crowds are going to like you. That sounds like a very good plan to me. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say I'm really impressed by... Um, the idea of having live percussion and brass with an electronic kind of um, sound because a lot of bands, if they're purely electronic, I don't think you get quite the same sort of buzz when you see them live. It's, you know, there is an old adage um, that electronic music is a bit of a bugger to recreate live. (laughs) And I I remember some comment from... um, uh, Carl from Underworld, yeah, and this was years ago, yeah. saying on Radio 1, well, it's all on dat, really, isn't it? <laughs> and I thought, yeah, because it's a lot more stable. <laughs> the truth is trying to recreate sounds that are meant for the studio and meant for your headphones and meant to be analysed with your brain in meticulous detail, trying to do that live yeah. is a swine. There are just so many variables, and Momo Tempo is no exception. I've always found it tough to, to get the sound right live, and mm-hmm. trying to it's harder this way to try and get something as hairy and loud as a horn and four of them with something as hairy and loud as Simon, the percussionist, uh, and some twit at the front chapping along in a sort of slightly posh English spoken word, plus keyboard fizzy noises. Uh, it, it is a bit of a nightmare. So Tom, who's going to be doing the sound check at our fantastic looking forward to it gig at Phonicon this mm-hmm. year, um, 
I'm kind of looking him in the eye, trying to get him prepared emotionally for what's coming. It's it's not easy, but when they when when it's right, once we sound check successfully, then yes, you get the sheer cats in thunderstorms energy of live instruments with the kind of the, the buzz of um, dance music sounds. Uh, it has to be said that everyone that's uh, agreed to do this is effectively doing a little bit of a freebie for Phonicon, mm. and uh, yeah. I think that's to be commended. Um, is it something close to your heart, the whole sort of subject of nerdishness and uh, being a bit of a geek? I wonder whether you were going to refer to radio or science fiction. In a way, they both are. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, I am a sci-fi geek. I, I've been to a couple of science fiction conventions a long time ago. Mm. Uh, uh, somehow, I got an actual academic degree qualification <laughs> in graphic design a thousand yeah. years ago. That was partly qualified by me writing a final year thesis on is Star Trek popular? <laughs> I, how I got away with it, why I'm admitting it now, I don't know. Uh, but as part of research, I thought I'd better go and see what the geeks really get up to. Mm. And it was a slightly, slightly odd experience it was sort of everybody was jolly nice yeah. and really easy with each other like they found their tribe mm -hmm. and it was all a bit sort of big bang theory before there was big bang theory <laughs> and, and I, I relate to these people and i i know far too much about a lot of these franchises but i don't tend to get in costume i don't actually have a starfleet uniform in the cupboard or a doctor who scarf yeah, uh, i kind of tend to draw the line there it's not a conscious, I, 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 I shouldn't do that, because so many fine people, including my mother, uh, she has a Starfleet uniform, and I have taken her to, um, actually, yeah, I did take her to one thing in Bournemouth years ago, USS Excelsior was around then, which was a kind of a, <laughs> uh, it's, it's too much detail here, isn't it? I'm giving awesome. too much credibility. Well, my mother's a Star Trek nut, and I took her to a, a, a fan convention, and she loved it, and lots of her fine, intelligent people were there with uh, sort of bajor and nose rings and all the rest of it. So, <laughs> no, hooray, hurrah, splendid. We're going to have a great time, and I think the night is going to be very atmospheric. If we can get the people involved we want to mm. for lighting and video and other things, I think that room up in the Voodoo Lounge is going to rock. I don't doubt it for a minute. But also radio... I, uh, it's my favourite creative medium, even though I've never had my own show. And, and even tonight, I'm on the local community radio station. Yeah. And, um, and I am thinking, you know, one day soon, I really ought to step up and do it. Because I think if my, if my comedy starts anywhere, it is with Kenny Everett. And, right. uh, and of course, he was a legend of radio. Yes. And, and the whole way he approached things and um, the, the professionalism of people like Mark and Lard when they were on. Mm, or even yeah, Steve, oh, they were great. Uh, Steve Wright drives me mad from a musical point of view. Mm. But the, the, the format of the show I still rather like. I like yeah. the idea that when you look at a certain time of the, of the afternoon, where you I mean, I've listened to it the first time in, I don't know, three or four years, driving down to or driving back from Exeter the other night when I met Simon. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, it was Red Nose Day as well. So I thought, actually, this is a time to listen to something like Radio 2 because I love lots of people in. And I like that structured format of um, skits and things happening at a very regular time of the day. It, yeah. it makes the most of radio, which is something that can go with you throughout the day and be a kind of comfort blanket. But what independent radio can do is is what radio is best at, in a sense, which is uh, kind of trying things and being being mad. Yeah. And so uh, the idea of hanging out at a recording studio, um, just blathering on, which I think it will be tonight on Hope FM in Bournemouth, <laughs> I love it. So I want to come down and be on, on Phonic FM because these sort of things need supporting and championing, I think. They're a voice for individual local talent as well. Do you find it's difficult sometimes as a, an artist to try and get your message out there, um, particularly with the playlist system that they tend to favour on the likes of Radio 1 and Radio 2? It's basically impossible. Mm. Um, something like Radio 1 defines itself and has for a long time by new music. Mm. But they are inundated because it, because Radio One is, is almost unique in its ability to reach the world with one record play. Yeah. Um, so they would be swamped, and also they have ways of being found and, and and reaching people. And I've always wondered how anybody wants to be a gatekeeper, wants mm. to be a guardian of new music, because most of you what you hear will be not inspiring because yeah. people are going to go, which they should. But I did manage to get onto BBC um, Regional. Uh, BBC introducing in the south, which which went out across three of their radio stations in a simulcast, 
uh, end of November last year, and they, they invited us in out of the blue to do a whole live set. We did oh, four wow. tunes that night. Yeah, it was it was great and surreal because when they say come and do the live lounge, what they don't tell you, they give you this sheet of information about where to find them, timings, all very professional. What they pertinently don't tell you is that BBC Sussex is in is behind the gift shop on the Queen's Road, oh, and and the live lounge isn't just behind the gift shop; it is the gift <laughs> shop. I think so, I've seen a clip of you performing they, in the gift shop. It's very good. Performing in the gift shop, exactly, Mark. And uh, it's quite odd. There's DVDs of every BBC thing you can think of and cutouts of the doctor and uh, whatever companion it was they had in their cardboard cutout in the window. And the homeless chap locally sort of gets a concert and stands at the window and people come and go in the Tesco over the road while you're <laughs> blathering about on the radio. So... Um, surreal and tremendous fun and i think we brought a a good atmosphere to it then but but again there isn't and momo tempo in particular and a buffoon like me doesn't have a natural audience the thing with momo's sound is that it sort of doesn't appeal to anybody as a niche (laughs) but kind of appeals to everybody Mm. which i notionally love but is practically tricky because (laughs) the way to really get build an audience is to go to one tribe if you want to use that word Mm. and and do stuff for them. Yeah, you get popular within that. That is that is the way to do it. So if it's the cabaret circuit, if it's um, dance music, if it's any number of different scenes that you go to and you try and rise up to, and then with a good profile and good people behind you loving you for what you do, you can maybe break out of it. Well, I've just never been able to do that. It must be very uh, restricting if you're artistic to have to narrow yourself down to one very narrow view. It yeah, I mean that sounds. It were I to say that in my own work, it would sound pretentious and I could be slapped. <laughs> but, but you're right that, in a sense, um, what I do is sort of a bit bigger than that. And what glues together my sound is my idiotic personality. <laughs> so something, something like The Golden Age of Exploration, which is the first Momo Tempo album, was mm-hmm. I wrestled with that for years to get the sound right and to get all these different tunes to hang together legitimately and it not be too, too much of a swerve mm. between styles. But actually, they do sort of just about hang together uh, because the production all does sound like Momo and there's my voice linking it together and there are themes that make you feel like you're just about on the same page with this artist all the way through and I like that I want people to be enjoying the theatre of what's coming next this shouldn't fit but it does I think one thing that struck me very much from having heard the material I have is it's very very difficult to put humour into pop songs and not completely ruin them. Now, but you said that line very well. Are you are you implying that there's something funny about my music? That that wasn't intentional. <laughs> I didn't put anything funny in there. What are you laughing at? Lyrically, yeah, you've got some really nice humorous moments in there, and it works really well. I take that as a huge compliment, actually. Uh, prob- probably all I really want in life is people to tell me I'm funny. In fact, years ago, I got a random uh, call to go and play in a theatre in um, in the West Midlands, in, in uh, Birmingham, mm-hmm. the Alexandra Theatre. Uh, it was a kind of back in the mid-noughties, out of the blue. Somebody found me on the internet. So we're doing a project that, that highlights unknown people. I love what you do. Come up and play. And I ended up opening the show. Wow. And it was a showcase of umpteen bands like Live Aid in the lovely big old Alex Theatre there, which I later discovered was where my parents used to play. They were in the Doyle Card Opera Company. And when they toured around the UK... Mm-hmm. Every time they got to Birmingham, they played the Alex. So actually, they were suddenly telling me all these stories of um, uh, one FA Cup final when the, the, the boys <laughs> of the chorus were actually, their dressing room was under the theatre and they were all crowding around a little black and white portable telly and somebody <laughs> significant scored and they all cheered and the stage manager rushed out and went mad at them. <laughs> Lovely little vignettes, and I wandered around feeling terribly at home in a theatre. I think I feel as home in a theatre as I do in a radio station, even though I've never properly worked in either. And, uh, uh, yeah, they they had me um, sort of performing with some dancers and stuff up there. Mm-hmm. But afterwards, uh, the local radio person had sort of helmed it, and she interviewed me. And afterwards, I walked out the front to see whether anybody was um, completely ignoring all my merchandise, which they were. <laughs> and this young couple was stood at the back, and I walked past. And you know that effect that all of us feel when somebody off of the stage walks by. It doesn't matter who they were, you just have a moment of, oh, you were from up there. Mm -hmm. And I I happened to notice her sort of look a little bit, uh, 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 wow, you're the bloke from the stage, as I walked past. And the funny thing was, she just blurted out, you're really funny. (laughs) And I stopped and shook her hand and said, yes, forget the years of crafting my musical art. I'll take that. Thank you. So is there a frustrated comedian inside? 
Well, well, no, not very frustrated. It comes leaking out all the time. And I think to be told I'm funny is probably all I want. Uh, but yes, it, funny in, in uh, pop music is very hard. And that's why one of the um, songwriters I most admire is Neil Hannon from The Divine Comedy. Oh, yeah, he's great. Because um, not only is he a baritone, so I can actually sing his songs in the bath, okay, <laughs> but he does come closer than anyone I know um, to, to, to make you both laugh and cry in a song. Which he's is got that melancholy, hasn't he? Oh, he's astonishingly clever. Mm. Um, I think he's more of a big old weepy romantic than his reputation lets on. I think he's seen as edgy and funny because he is. It, it, the wit and the cleverness in his work is, um, is outstanding. Mm. But actually, he's even better at writing a melody. His songs are beautiful. Yeah. But underneath it, you'll then have these... Uh, I mean, the example is his best-known song, which is the developed theme from Father Ted... Um, uh, which is Songs of Love. Yeah. And that that song is as clever as it is hilarious, as it is genuinely moving, mm. all in about two and a half minutes. That That is clever, and I aspire to being mm. that clever. I think one of my favourite songs of his was um, called Certainty of Chance. Oh, the Certainty of Chance. Mm. It's epic and yeah. catchy. And enormous yeah. and wonderful. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's uh, in fact, was it the certainty of chance that they used the end of when they f- rebooted uh, Tomorrow's World just before they killed it off? The theme tune was actually that. <laughs> As a nerdy fact for you, everyone. Uh, <laughs> yes, well, we can geek off about Neil anytime, and I, and I, I cannot for the life of me work out why I'm not great showbiz pals with him already. I, I personally think he, me and David Tennant should go out on the lash any day of the week, but <laughs> the tiny issue is they have profiles and I don't. Oh, that's, that's how it is at the moment. You never know. <laughs> I don't know. I have a profile in my own head and actually locally, uh, yes, I'm just enjoying getting on with what I'm getting on with. And I've had so many people lately come out of the woodwork and be very generous in the way they're retweeting and commenting and saying this is good and, and I'm just doing what I've always done and enjoying the, 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 the audience that do love it. They're really keen. We were talking prior to recording proper about uh, a track of yours called Nudge. Yes. Tell yes. me about that. Nudge. Well, it was the first release from the forthcoming new Momo Tempo LP and it sort of leapfrogged uh, the tune that's currently out, Undo, because that, that was recorded exactly a year ago and was about to be the first thing I revealed from the new material. Mm-hmm. And then I got a call from um, Jeff Fuchs, who works with uh, uh, numerous projects down in the West Country and uh, essentially tries to bring together, uh, through a project called The Visual Soundtrack, mm-hmm. artists, music artists and filmmakers. And he found a little bit of budget to create something, some creative content for the... Um, the Cultural Olympiad last year, specifically linked to Weymouth, which is, of course, not far from what's yeah. between where you are and where I am. And um, uh, he put me together with a local film company that a couple of my friends knew, but I didn't, called Love Love Films, mm-hmm. and said, guys, we've got a micro budget, but get together and make a tune to be filmed, to be screened in a, a, a facility called the ICCI 360, which is a facility and a project coming out of Plymouth University. Right. And it's a 360-degree format for film. And they're looking to make content for these geodesic domes that they erect at various places, festivals and all over the place. And they need more and more content filmed in 360 to be able to screen. And they were taking their biggest dome, a 6 meter by 60 meter dome, mm-hmm. down to Weymouth Seafront for the entire summer in front of the theatre there. And they needed stuff to go in it. And Jeff loved my work and said, get together with Love Love, make mm-hmm. something fab, put it in. And I remember um, <laughs> meeting uh, Georgie from Love Love and the boys in there. I went in after a late night finishing a, a TV soundtrack, sort of two in the morning getting the files off, and I mm-hmm. blundered in. And I went, hi, I'm Timo. I'm a slight weirdo <laughs> buffoon. And we've got, what is it, a week to come up with something? I haven't really got a tune. I've got 10 seconds of a riff. What should we do? <laughs> and they looked at me and were probably thinking, what the heck have we got ourselves into? And Georgie, with great professionalism, said, uh, well, I think you need to start by writing some lyrics so we have some idea of what we can be making the film about. So fair comment. Fair, it was fair comment. So I went away, took this riff away with me that I'd had in mind and um, came up with lyrics around the concept I'd had in mind, mm-hmm. sat them back. And those guys, they didn't just get their heads around uh, a concept for it, along loosely along the style of, of Momo's brand, mm. 
They also got their heads around how to make a film for 360 degrees. For example, on screen, there is no exit. So yeah. how on earth do you segue between scenes when there's no left and right stage off? It's a bit of a head do. It's a bit of a head do, and they got around it. And so now on YouTube, there is a, there is a sort of standard 16.9 film cut mm. of it, but doesn't do justice to what it's like to stand in a massive dome and be surrounded by multiple copies of yourself <laughs> dancing to your own insane bit of music. And it was, by all accounts, one of the most popular uh, tunes, naturally, of, of the summer's playlist in the ICCR 360. And um, it was a dementedly brilliant thing. And Love Love did... Um, um, an epic job on it, especially given the time scale, and it's it's proved very popular. Excellent. So, can that, can people still check that out? Yeah, the, the YouTube um, channel for Momo, which is forward slash Momo Tempo, um, Nudge is on there, and actually, you can see a kind of flat version of the whole three sixty one as well. If you're yeah, intrigued yeah. to see how many me's they were all dancing at once, <laughs> and how they segued around, and uh, yes, it was um, it was a, a jolly positive fun experience. Six and a half hours of dancing is what uh, Georgie and I say to each other whenever we see each other, because that's what it took on my part. Well, it saves on the gym membership. I really love the video for um, Undo. I think it's fantastic. Yes, we filmed that. Well, thanks. We filmed it in the November, and it was with uh, my good friend uh, Benny from Rampage Studio. We've worked with lots. I've done lots of soundtrack work for him, and they've helped us with other creative projects. Mm -hmm. But we'd always wanted to do a video and finally had a window to do it, and, and Undo was the beast. I managed to then bring that forward and release it. And we actually first put it up on the night of our BBC Introducing set online so we could tell listeners to go find mm -hmm. it. It is, um, yeah, it, it, it's tremendous fun to finally be in front of the camera. And I think in some stupid, goofy ways, Momo Tempo makes even more sense when you see my idiot face uh, <laughs> twitting around. And uh, one of the, an interesting little story there is that we, we filmed against a green screen because it's very cartoony and yeah. sort of done a, a faux 60 style like mm -hmm. uh, Momo Tempo's brand. And we needed some, someone conspicuously girl-shaped for the scene in the middle of the, of the story. And... Yeah. Um, uh, Carlos, who was um, co-directing it, he said, well, my housemate next door is free. She's currently working on a, a, an event she's planning, but actually uh, she, she might be prepared to come in. Bless her, her name was Suki. She came in, was the consummate professional. She just went, right, OK, I'll get some sort of flared 50s dresses. I'll get one out. And um, she pulled all the right shapes because she was only mm -hmm. a silhouette in the video and absolutely nailed it and did less than an hour's work, completely made the video work and uh, then went back to her job. I, I mean, that kind of creative flexibility is to be applauded. Absolutely, absolutely. And the end result is brilliant. If Thank you it. haven't seen it yet, uh, check it out on YouTube. You can also go to, I believe it's momotempo.co.uk. Yeah, it's on there along mm. with other things. Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned you're recording the new album. Yes, how close is that to being completed? Well, <laughs> it is. Uh, I'm intending to have it out in the summer sometime, mm -hmm. uh, in inverted commas. The entire thing is now mapped out. I now know conceptually how it runs from beginning to end, and the sketch mix is down for basically everything, and I'm sort of in the process of filling in the gaps. So um, I think by Easter I'll have the tunes fleshed out to the proper length as very, very rough sketches. Mm. There's one or two that still need... Con I mean, in fact, the, the tune that I want to be the next single... I still don't know what it's about, which is ridiculous. Uh, and others, um, uh, others are, are much more down the, the road and they're written and, and fleshed out. And I think straight after Easter, I'm hoping to start doing some sessions with the brass guys and mm -hmm. some more percussion sessions with Mark, the drummer, and, and Simon, the conga player, and, and others, and also getting some other people in to do various things, uh, and then string sessions and things. So I'm, I'm hoping that by the summer we'll have have her kind of mastered and down and there are tunes on there that when we share them live i think people will those who've been following momo will instantly not understand them not having been there the whole time they'll fit in a treat so i absolutely can't wait to uh share an awful lot of these tunes that sounds great so when it comes to the writing process do you tend to jam with your fellow musicians or is it something that you personally do on your own and then you take it to the guys and say, look, this is what we're aiming for, or how does it work? It's kind of different every time, but at the moment it's been many years since I've just jammed around and got ideas with people, and I think mm -hmm. if I was in a, in a band proper, 
we we do that kind of thing. Yeah. We, it would be healthy to sort of improvise and muck around that way. But actually, because Momo tempos me as a producer effectively, mm-hmm. and they come in as session musicians and 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 the live band, yeah. uh, it, it, in one sense it helps everybody know where they stand, mm-hmm. and and also it, it it means that there's a chance at least of it being single minded because it's coming from somebody with a, a vision for it. I.e., <laughs> me, whether it's a good vision or not, is that is all the pressure. But so I tend to sit down and. Um, an awful lot of these tunes started with riffs. There's right. a, a few years of dictaphone, um, hilarious dictaphone things from me. <laughs> it just fresh out of the shower usually or wandering around somewhere, just putting down a naff riff for me to remember what it is. So you're missing a trick there. You need to have those as hidden tracks at the end of your albums. Yeah, yeah, you're never going to hear them. <laughs> I, I know that they'll come out when I'm dead. But, uh, yeah, th- so th- really it's very, very riff-heavy, this. I mean, I tend to write very strong tunes and riffs anyway, but mm-hmm. this is a lot of these are driven from the beats and the riff up. And so more of these than normal, I've had a bit of a challenge working out conceptually what they're about and how much lyrical content to have. Um, but I write songs from every conceivable point of view. Sometimes it's just a melody in my head. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a riff, more the bass end of things. Sometimes it's a whole stream of kind of almost poetic spoken word that I then have to fit around things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's rhyming couplets like songs. Sometimes it's a chord sequence. It's every conceivable way, really, that things come to me, and that, that ref- that's reflected in the albums. The Golden Age is clear proof of that, and this one will be as well. I can think of numerous tunes in my head that uh, that all start from different points of view it keeps it quite fresh as well because you're sounds like you're mixing things up yes uh, and i want that i i enjoy taking people on a on a journey mark <laughs> uh, that's why i like the album format i think you should start and finish and go somewhere in the middle but but hold the hand and make it and not have swerves that are so harsh they don't feel like they fit you think we're al- in danger of losing that because of the download culture people say that we are uh, in some sense, we are, but really, I, I, I think that, um, as with all technology, human truth will out. So, in the sixties, when they thought we'd get rid of paper and everything would be made of plastic, that didn't happen. We make more paper than ever because it's a very human and practical resource, and plastic does a, a billion different very practical jobs, but none of them involve making an entire house. Brick mm-hmm. does that, and wood is a is a, a format that we a, a material that we love because it's fundamentally human somehow and i think the, the album format although in a sense it's artificial um it will endure because people like it it just won't be ubiquitous yeah. and that's true of all technology formats that people cry that they're going but actually markets move on and formats move on and they find a new level so mm-hmm. vinyl isn't ever going to disappear i think because nostalgia keeps it alive and, it, and vinyl's been huge for years because of djs it's only now uh, in the last sort of five years, has it been slipping away properly from DJing culture? Yeah. But still, bands love to put out things on vinyl, um, and uh, fans actually like them as uh, mementos. So vinyl has a place, even cassette has a place. I can think of two people on Facebook who I'm sort of chums with. One of them's putting out their new album only on cassette, yeah. and another one's putting it out on vinyl as well as CD and download. It's mixing it up. I think um, there's something quite satisfying about listening to an album from start to finish, something like... I don't know, um, Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Yes. You stick that on, you listen to it. It's a journey, as you say, going through the album. The the thing that kind of detracts from that somewhat about download is that in most cases you can pick and choose the songs that you want to download rather than download the album as an, in, an entirety. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, in a sense, it's... Um... It's the good thing and the bad thing of now. In fact, my latest blog post, I was um, posting about um, uh, the story of music, Howard Goodall's fantastic six-part series. And in a way, that program, although it seemed he carries himself in a very kind of calm, almost academic way on screen. He's not a kind of show-busy TV type at all. He's a, he's a, a, a musician and a very nice chap. But actually, nonetheless, he could only have made that program now because he is of a generation um, just a, a little bit older than me that that appreciates mixing it up. Yeah. And now even in my lifetime, things have changed from the elite of music and the pop of music being very separate things to them coming together again through, yes, film music and all sorts of other ways. And so the shuffle generation is unlike any 20th century youth generation mm as is often said, in that they're quite happy to have a whole random collection of things. The juxtaposition of differences yeah. is what thrills a lot of teenagers, or at least they, you know, they think it's okay. Whereas when, when I was younger, 
you were supposed to define yourself by one genre, by one tribe. Mm. And uh, that's I've kind of... I've never that. quite subscribed to that myself. No, and an awful lot of people never did. And mm. my, the lovely First Lady of MoMo, my wife, always felt that way when she was a teenager. That people said, oh, what music are you into? And she just never had an answer. She said, well, I just know if I like it. And yeah. that's totally fine. Everything's <laughs> good. And so being able to make your own playlist and define yourself by it is fun. It's more playful. Yeah. It's more accessible. Digital's brilliant. I think that's diversity. one great thing about digital, sorry to interrupt you, is... Um, um, you talked about kids getting into music and they've got this huge wealth of yeah. tracks to choose from. You, know, you can go right the way back um, and just pick out the most obscure piece of music and discover something new. Yes. It, in a sense, I know a lot of us um, who, who have grown through the transition period from analogue to digital, which is actually, I think, has been a fascinating period to live through. Uh, I know a lot of us will, f will feel the instinct to feel that this is devaluing everything. And in a sense, it really is. Mm. Because when you had to, you know, beg, borrow or steal information about, well, your favourite science fiction TV show as mm. much as your favourite band, because there just wasn't the... the the volume of information and, and access from fans to generate content, because that didn't exist. It meant that every scrap you found was was precious beyond belief. Yeah. And it, it is genuinely a shame that that's not the case. But this is the real world now. It was always the inevitability of what happens after an industrial revolution. There was going to be more stuff and more choice. And it then the onus is then on us as individuals to, to be responsible editors for ourselves and for each other and to seek out quality. And yes, it means there's a lot of there's a, just a lot more stuff, which means proportionally there'll be a lot more rubbish stuff. But frankly, that's democracy. Mm. We should all be able to have a go and not not fear the technology that allows even idiots like me to make music. We should just have a go, and the quality of your ideas, the most old-fashioned thing ever, uh, and the quality of your craftsmanship will be what what comes out in the end. So, you're obviously you're going to be appearing at Phonicon. You've yep. got the new album coming out later in the year. Yep. What else have you got planned? Is there a plans for a tour? Uh, I'm trying to. The, the, the brutal practical truth is getting people to let um, original new music play anywhere. Uh, knocked on a lot of doors. The festivals are where new music plays, but, of course, everyone's queuing up and the record labels and others always get in there first. And, and you know, it's just beyond human wit of people uh, um, running these things to get through the deluge mm. of requests of new bands and find the good stuff and they can fill their playlists easily. So getting in there, everyone says to me, you should be playing Festival. I'll say, I know, it's perfect, <laughs> but everyone wants to play there. Yeah. And people will say, you should play the Llama Tree. I'm going, oh, no, but they have everybody <laughs> So there are so many places to play. And, and also, you know, when you're taking a seven-piece band out, it's got to be a space physically big enough yeah. and an audience that makes sense of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, I want to be doing that. But then the local venues, especially in Bournemouth, there's nowhere to, to play that is championing new music other than 60 million postcards, which is fab in every mm -hmm. sense. But it's, it's the one in town centre. And then there's a brilliant little place in the heart of Boscombe called the Cellar Bar, mm -hmm. which which is a fantastic bastion of creativity. But as the name implies, it's not big. Yeah. In fact, that's brilliant about it. It is down in the cellar under Chaplin's. And every time I've been in there, I thought, I love this place, but I can't, I can't picture half my band fitting on the stage, mm -hmm. never mind the whole Earth, Wind & Fire setup we've got. So it's hard to find venues to play. Mm -hmm. I want to tour. I want to take it out to people. I want to push copies of the album in people's hands. I want to uh, show off at the front. And it's very hard to find opportunities to do so. But that said... Momo Tempo and the Electropops Orchestra, are, they're a bit special to see live. We'd never do a tour like a band of, you know, 20 back rooms in pubs. We can't fit. It wouldn't work. I think it needs to be a bit special to see us live, as much as I'd do it every night of the week if I could. Uh, I think it's better that it's a bit of a rarity and you get your ass along when we play because you won't see it very often. I'll absolutely make sure I'm there at the front. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I got your dance moves, though. That's the only thing that worries me. No, but, you know, all you've got to do is think dad dancing and you're halfway there. Ah, well, I can do that. Mm. Stick your bum out and just sort of, you know, <laughs> walk while running and, yeah, almost a chicken impression. I mean, frankly, Mark, anything goes. Just express <laughs> yourself, man. Let it out. <laughs> you may regret saying that. I love the lyrics on Dead Good. <laughs> really, really, it's kind of like a... It's getting a bit existential, isn't it? It is. It's uh, me, uh, yeah, asking some good questions and being a twit at the same time. Uh, <laughs> it was actually a tune that started life for um, a little promo. It, it's on a, uh, a corporate video mm -hmm. from years ago for somebody. And, I, and it's one of the rare occasions I thought, 
Well, I do sometimes do this. I think mm, that could go somewhere else. It's it's almost too simple, but it does really work. And everybody loves it. It does mm, sort of hit the brilliant. sweet spot a bit. So, um, uh, yeah, fleshing out the lyrics into that kind of... Obviously, I wrote it when we had all the riots mm-hmm. at the end of Eleven. And um, uh, just, I thought, yeah. <laughs> There's a little bit of a, ch- a chappy challenge there, I think. Time to quantum leap. It's at these times one feels one should have put a little more effort into getting good. Before you go, you'd like to know you did some good or a good show. So if it's good to be alive, perhaps it's high time that I try to kill my speed and pop the hood and tune things up a bit. You know, try actually getting a bit dead good. I drop the loot and with a sigh, I pull undone my banker's bonus tie. Yeah. 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 It's political, isn't it? I can tell it's a bit political. away some helpful missive misinforming someone about something perhaps the merits of helvetica or some finale finale about the media ah so good job done i saunter out into the sun as i queue for cash two chaps nearby are reminiscing about how time flies six tours of duty the first chap lee now runs a homeless charity how'd you move on he says the other guy jeff Spent frontline years in the RAF, now studying his PhD in disaster aid optometry. Leaving the forces, that's unnerving. It's not Mac.9, but I'm still serving. Yeah, once again, I feel I should have put a little more effort into getting good. Before you go, you'd like to know you did some good or a good show. So if it's good to be alive, perhaps it's high time that I tried to take a stand how heroes stood. And maybe, actually, just for once, try getting dead good. Try doing that for a change. Daily. 
Stand in the mirror and tell that bloke to get good. Buck up your old dears to defend the poor and play it queer. I tip my cap, for I have made a promise to start keeping promises. Yeah, good luck with that. I can see you've got to be the very best that you can be. I think this daily, oh, it's obvious. But the future seems to be the future on me. Thank you so much for taking the time out to have this chat. No, excellent. Really, thank you for inviting me onto your show and uh, very nice to be a guest and, you know, thanks for enjoying it and I hope you continue to. That just about wraps up another show. Thanks again to Simon Lee and Timo. If you want to get in touch, you can contact us via email and that's nerdologyuk at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, which is at nerdologyuk and we also have a Facebook page, so if you want to come along and like us on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash Nerdology UK. You can find more episodes on iTunes. We're also on an app called Stitcher, which is available on iOS, Android, and Kindle Fire. And we're also now added to the podcast directories of BlackBerry and Windows Phone. So you can get us pretty much anywhere now. So thanks again for listening. Till next time, goodbye. Thank uh-huh.